Our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 10, I'm sorry, chapter 14, verses 10 through 21. He sent and had John beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was even, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, A blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. May God bless his word. You may be seated. Thanks, Delroy. All right, well, we come to a very famous passage here today, Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. It is not just famous, it is actually in all four of the Gospels. There aren't many stories that are in all four of the Gospels, but this passage, this event, so impressed Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that they all made sure in their accounts of Jesus' ministry to include it. And so when we look at this passage, as I was looking at it this week, there is a main point, but to get to the main point, I think we really have to remember the context and kind of feel what Jesus was feeling in that moment. So if you remember, let me walk you back a little bit. Matthew chapter 12 is where Jesus is in a room with the Pharisees and there it's a crowded room and he's going toe to toe with them. This would have been tiresome. He's rebuking them. He's saying some hard things. Then he retires down by the sea uh, where it seems like Jesus thought that he was going to get a little bit of rest, but instead of rest, this impromptu crowd shows up, Matthew chapter 13, and Jesus is on a boat so that he can speak to everybody and speaks to them in parables, and then he explains those parables to the disciples. And it's more or less in this context where Jesus then gets the news from what was going on with Herod. So Jesus hears not only that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been executed, but he also hears that Herod in the most, like the clearest possible way is rejecting Jesus's teaching. He's rejecting who Jesus says that he is. And so when we think about Jesus in that context, Jesus is exhausted at this point. He's emotionally exhausted. He's physically exhausted. He has received horrible news about somebody that he loved who had died. Um, and, and on top of that, Herod's execution of John the Baptist would have I, I can't imagine anybody not thinking, if, if Herod could do that to John the Baptist, what does that mean for Jesus and his disciples? So in some way, it also foreshadows the imminent death of Jesus and his followers. So, I, I mean, think about being emotionally exhausted, physically exhausted, 
terribly weary, having bad news given to you, and that all of this comes together at Jesus in this moment. I mean, there are times, you know, when you're so exhausted, when you're so weary, your phone answers and you don't even have it in you to hit that green button. Even if it's a friend, you're just too worn out, too hopeless to just hit that button. That's how I imagine Jesus at this moment. And so Jesus, we we know that he got in a boat, Luke's account tells us he goes to uh, Bethsaida seeking an isolated place where he can be by himself. I'm sure that, you know, he would want to rest and cry and pray. But when he gets to that shore at Bethsaida, what does he see? 5,000 men plus women who all want him. They want things from him. You know, if there was ever, ever a time in Jesus' ministry where he could say, hey guys, this is me time. <laughs> this is, I, I need some space tomorrow, come back, but I'm exhausted. I just lost my cousin. I don't know what's gonna happen to us. Can you just give me some space? He would have been totally justified in doing that, but that's not what he does. And it's in that context that we see the main point of this passage, Jesus' compassion. Matthew makes it so clear. Jesus saw this crowd and he had compassion on them. Unbelievable, unimaginable compassion in light of what Jesus was going through. And so I just wanna look at this story and I wanna see that compassion really clearly and I wanna see how it should stir our hearts. So Jesus' compassion. Matthew says that in his compassion, he began to heal people. Instead of ministering to, to himself, Jesus is ministering to other people. And I mean, just imagine 5,000 men plus women and children, maybe 8,000 people, who knows exactly how many physical needs there would be even today in a crowd like that. And then you just think this is, this is before modern medicine. I mean, there were so many physical needs in that, in that crowd that Jesus would have had to address. And, and he does, he ministers to them. So he's, we know he's exhausted, he's worn out, he's physically exhausted, emotionally exhausted. And I think there's a spiritual toll being taken on Jesus in this moment. I mean, I, I don't know what it takes out of Jesus to, to physically heal somebody. I've never done that before. But, you know, I think about Luke chapter eight, when there was a woman seeking to be healed, she touches Jesus's garment and he says, who touched me? And he said, I can tell somebody touched me because I felt power flow from me or go, literally go out of me. So I don't know, I'm speculating, maybe there's, this, just the, the, there's physical, emotional, spiritual uh, exhaustion here. And this is where we see his compassion. And so it's important to define compassion. I actually spent a, a little bit of time this week, my wife, who's getting her counseling degree, was very helpful, we went back in her notes, because compassion, it isn't just empathy. So empathy is when you say, I, I can imagine how this feels. I can imagine, given my, my mind, my, uh, my experience, I can imagine how that would feel. I can imagine that it would be really hard to be where you are right now. But there are limitations to empathy because I'm still imagining. <laughs> I'm not there with you. And, and I'm not just imagining uh, how you would feel in that difficult circumstance. I'm actually imagining how I would feel. So, so empathy, while great and important, it's, it's limited. Compassion goes further. Compassion isn't just imagining. Compassioning is saying, I'm gonna suffer this with you. I'm gonna get in this boat with you. I'm gonna feel what you feel. I mean, I've, I've never lost a spouse or a child. This is probably two of the worst things I could imagine going through. But I, I, I've walked with people who have gone through that and, 
And I'll often hear them say something like, I just need to talk with somebody who's been through this. Somebody who suffered the way that I'm suffering because as, as nice as you are, Jim, you just don't get it. Compassion goes further. It's suffering with somebody. It's saying I'm entering into this with you. And Jesus in this story, that's exactly what he's doing. He's entering into their suffering. He's feeling what they're feeling. And that's what makes Jesus different than any other deity, any other worldview that has ever existed. Jesus isn't in some far off throne saying, oh, I can imagine that's hard. You know, I mean, Jesus left heaven to take on flesh so that he could live the life of a suffering servant, really experiencing, entering into the suffering of humanity. That's what makes him different. He... He can, can't not only imagine what we're going through, but he's felt it. He gets us in a way that, that really no one else can. He understands every pain because he lived this life as a suffering servant. So compassion isn't just something Jesus is good at. <laughs> compassion is core to who Jesus is. This is why the author of Hebrews writes, because he himself, Jesus, has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. So in the area of temptation, he's, he gets us. He's been there. And not only has he been there, he didn't give in like the rest of us. He knows what it's like to endure past the point where we give in. So he knows temptation better than any of us. He gets that part of our being. And Jesus didn't suffer so that he could look at us and say, I had it worse than you. So just get yourself up by the bootstraps and get going. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's suffering so that he can truly know our trials and our pains and our fears and our anxieties and our depressions so that he could be the perfect high priest, able to give us weak, sinful people the mercy and love and compassion that we need. He can do that because it's not just empathy, it's compassion and it goes so much further. Compassion is who Jesus is. He entered into this world to help us, not just for a season, but for an eternity, for all of eternity to come in and understand us. And because of that, we can approach him. He's the most approachable person that has ever existed because he understands everything that we're going through, every fear, every loss, every pain. He gets it and he gets it even more than we do in some ways. No matter what the suffering, we can approach him like these people in Bethsaida and not do so nervously, but do so expectantly. He is alone to show compassion because he, he is alone in his ability to show compassion because he turns no one away. All who come to Jesus will be received. He is not too busy for you. You are not too dirty for him. You are not too far off for him. You are not too unimportant for him. You are not too needy for him. If you come to him, you will get his compassion every single time. And I know some of you here and you you've made some bad decisions in your life. Maybe last night was your bad decision. You, you've, you've, you've strayed down a, a path so far that you could hear this and say, yes, Jim, I hear that. But I don't know that I believe that for myself. And if that's you, I want you to look at who it is in this, pas this passage that Jesus is having compassion on. He's not having compassion on the disciples who have already professed their faith and loyalty to Jesus. He's having compassion on the crowd, the crowd who has not professed loyalty to him, the crowd who in many cases still remains skeptical of him. Yet that is the group that is receiving this compassion in this passage. 
And in Mark chapter six, Mark doesn't just tell us that Jesus has compassion. Mark tells us why he had compassion. This is Mark 6, 34, same passage, same story. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep aim, wander aimlessly. Sheep get lost. Sheep uh, find themselves in danger. Sheep don't know how to guide themselves. They need something or someone to guide them. And spiritually speaking, Jesus saw this crowd and saw them as lost as sheep. And so his compassion went out, not because they've cleaned themselves up, not because they have professed something, some loyalty to Jesus. His compassion goes out toward them just because they are lost and they, they haven't seen Jesus. They don't see Jesus. That evokes his compassion. So if that's true of them, how much more of all of us? How could any of us be too far gone? Especially if you're here in church today. I mean, this crowd was not doing stuff like that. They just showed up out of curiosity, maybe out of uh, peer pressure, maybe, maybe just because they heard he's healed and they'd been sick. In the book, Gentle and Lowly, that we read last, last spring, uh, winter, whatever it is in Florida, we call that, but Ortland writes about Jesus, meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy. He is not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. He is accessible for all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness. No one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. And he is approachable because of his unending compassion. So there is no one here who is beyond Jesus' compassion. No one. But on the other end of the spectrum, there's no one here who doesn't need it either. Because, I mean, for some of you, your, your, your life is going really well. You may feel like you're on top of the world right now. And that can make you, in times, feel like you don't really need the compassion of Jesus. And if that's you, I'm not trying to be too harsh on you, but there are two things that I would caution you to understand better. The first one is that you're not always going to be on top of the world. You know, Jesus was actually also a really skilled forecaster. And do you know what he forecasted for tomorrow? Trouble. Trouble is coming for everybody. If you live long enough, it's coming. But that's just for this life, for all of us. When we pass on, we are going to need Jesus's compassion because we are going to face we're gonna face God. And on, in and of ourselves, we merit nothing but God's judgment when that happens. But in God's grace, it is his compassion that gets us through this greatest of sufferings. Because Jesus, in his compassion, he went to the cross, not just to endure something with us, but to endure it in our place, to endure the wrath of God in his place. So it's actually in his compassion, he understands not only our pain, but he understands the greatest of pains that we won't ever know if we have faith in Jesus Christ. So he understands all of our pain and then some, and it is through that compassion that he didn't just go to suffer with us, that he went to suffer in our place that gets us out of our greatest suffering. So none of us is too far and none of us is outside the need of the compassion of Jesus Christ. So this is the compassion. This is the compassion that is on display. Jesus is tired. He's exhausted. He's weary. He's suffering. He's sad. And if this is how Jesus responds, 
in arguably one of his lowest and meekest moments, how much more is he gonna respond to us today, the resurrected Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father? There is no end to that compassion. And that is the compassion that is extended to all of us through open arms, not a pointed finger. So if that's true, if that's the compassion, how then should it stir our hearts? Because this passage tells us, it doesn't just tell us about the compassion, it shows us, Jesus tells us how it should change us, what we should do because of it. And we see two things. First, Jesus' compassion, it should draw us in. It should draw us to him. It should make us want to know him. It should make us want to experience that compassion more. We should take our hurts and our trials and our fears and everything, our, our letdowns, and it should make us want to go and be with Jesus because he gets it. He has compassion in that moment. And compassion can come in a lot of different forms. And I think one of the, the I mean, sometimes it, you know, it can come in healing. Like that, that's what he's doing here. He's healing and God can heal. But that isn't the only manifestation of the compassion of Jesus Christ. And one of the problems is that when we look for Jesus's compassion, we want one kind, really. We want the kind of compassion that's just going to make the hard circumstance stop. And sometimes that's what he does. But if that's the only kind of compassion, the only form of Jesus's compassion that we're looking for, we are going to miss out on so much of Jesus's compassion that he has for us. If you were here, I guess it's three or four weeks ago, I was telling you one of the, the changes I've been doing in my sermon prep is as I've been looking at a passage, I've been asking God, God, would you give me something fresh this week? Like, like to see this teaching for my own life, if it's helpful, I'll pass it on. And, uh, and I got a, a really good picture of like looking for one form of, of God's compassion. So my parents, they own a farm in North Florida and, uh, and we go up there to hunt and you know we tree stands and food plots and all that. And to our surprise, we realized that every time you, that you till a field, you will find Native American arrowheads. It's like there was a whole village there. Like there every time, without fail, we never till up a field and don't find arrowheads. And so we've all gotten very excited about this. No one more than my brother. And so when it rains, uh, it, that's, a, that's prime time because the, the, the white arrowheads come out. And you can just, you can look and see it. They're very visible. The, the, the sand is dark gray and the arrowheads are, are white. So every time it rains, my brother is out there looking for arrowheads and he has quite a collection at this point. And so this past spring break, we were hiking in North Carolina with the kids and we went to the Cherokee Reservation. And when you go there, you can buy all the little trinkets, including amazing looking arrowheads. <laughs> And so I was like, I bought one with the plan of going and, and well, not the plan, we went to, back to the farm on our way back and my son Collins and I put this arrowhead in, in the food plot, sticking out like that much, this amazing arrowhead you've ever seen. And, it, and because God is on my side in practical jokes, it rained that night. And so the next morning, my brother is so excited, everybody knows but him. And I was, really, I was worried he was gonna come to this service today and he didn't because it's, you'll see why in a minute. But uh, so he went out and he eagerly went and looking for it. And I just couldn't wait for him to come back. And he was gonna have this big, beautiful arrowhead and he was gonna be bragging to everybody. And I was, I was gonna say something like, you know what that looks like? Some trinket that you would buy at the Cherokee Reservation. It's fake. But he came back and I said, do you find anything? He's like, oh, I just found these pieces of arrowhead, nothing, nothing big. And I was like, really? I think you should go back. 
and so he went back with my parents later on and my parents were watching him and he was, it was like right in front of him, right there, but he could not see it because he was only looking for one kind of arrowhead. He was only looking for that white and he couldn't notice this massive gray thing right in front of him. And so obviously the analogy breaks down at some point because this is fake and the full orb of Jesus's compassion is not fake. But the point is he's only looking for one type of airhead in the same way we can only look for one type of compassion from Jesus. And if we do that, we are at best missing out on Jesus's compassion the way that he wants to show it to us. And at worst, we are like the man walking over the field where the treasure is buried, never even knowing that it's there because we're not looking for it. Many of you uh, knew Carol Dickerson, who uh, passed away, died last month uh, from COVID. And I had the opportunity to visit her twice in the hospital. And the first time she was there, first time I was there, she was still very cognizant. She was still very aware. And I, and I talked with her and I asked her, how, how can I be praying for you? And she said, pray for peace, no matter how this turns out. And there was a lot packed into that phrase, no matter how this turns out. Because Carol wasn't just looking for one manifestation of Jesus' compassion. She knew that Jesus is compassionate and he is going to choose how to be compassionate in her life. And she knew it might result in her, her healing now and it might not. But either way, she wants the peace that she wanted the peace that comes with experiencing the compassion of Jesus Christ. And in his compassion, he did not choose to heal her body that day. He chose to be with her and give her the peace of his presence and take her home. But Carol understood the full orb of the varieties of compassion that Jesus is offering us. And if we don't go in our hurts and our sorrows and our fears and our letdowns, if we don't go to Jesus for compassion in that moment, we're going to go someplace else. You know, we're going to go someplace else, often a place to dull the pain or, or to kind of drown it out or just to forget about it for a little bit, for some kind of quick fix. But the problem when we do that, not only are we not getting what we're meant to get in Jesus' compassion, it's actually blinding ourselves to what we ultimately need in Jesus' compassion. When, uh, when Collins was two and he, we lived in Starkville, Mississippi, we were eating at our favorite Mexican restaurant and we we're eating with our, at the time we were on staff with crew, our largest financial, one family, our largest financial supporters that we had. And Collins was eating the free, you know, Dorito chips that you get when you sit down or not, whatever they are. And he's eating them when every parent's worst nightmare happened. Like he began to choke. And it wasn't just like a coughing choke. There was no air going in or out. It was terrifying. But in God's providence, this donor that we had that we were eating with was also a doctor. So I grabbed Collins and I just handed him across the table. I didn't even speak. He knew what he had to do and he turned him around, did you know, the baby Heimlich where you're, he's on his stomach and you're hitting his back and almost in no time, the chip popped out, the chips popped out on his plate, followed by more puke than you can imagine being inside a two-year-old. And, and you, you know, I, I guess looking back, I should have been embarrassed or shameful. I was just so relieved that my kid was okay. I don't care if my largest donor's whole meal is covered in my kid's puke. But so we got him and we put him back in that chair and you know the very first thing Collins did? He reached for another chip. And I was like, dude, this is the thing that just almost killed you. I mean, what, what are you thinking here? You not see the problem? No more chips for you for the rest of your life. No more, no more chips. 
But that's what we do when we continually go back to these things to dull us, to drown us from the sorrow and the pain and the letdown that we feel in this world. And it is just as dangerous, spiritually speaking, because when we do that, we're not only not going to the right place, but we're killing ourselves because we're starving ourselves from the compassion of Jesus that we need. Continually, to use biblical terms, growing more hard-hearted the whole time. But Jesus, he's offering a compassion that doesn't just dull our pain. It transforms us. It satisfies us fully from, every, from the inside. Everything about our being is transformed when we receive the compassion of Jesus Christ. Because he's, again, he's not this, this God on some throne far away who feels bad for us, you know, the way that we might feel bad towards a war going on on the other side of the earth. Jesus is not far away with a breaking heart. He is the first responder. He's the doctor. He's the person who comes in our sin and strife and pain to come and save us. That's the Jesus of the Bible. And the only way that he can do it is because of his compassion. And his compassion, Jesus finds his lost sheep. He feeds his lost sheep and that should draw us in. And, I, and before I move on, I wanna, I wanna say that being drawn in, it means that following Jesus is more important than any other thing that I desire to do. And so, I mean, we, more important than the ways that I might drown out my sorrows, whether it's alcohol or pain pills or pornography or unhealthy relationships or even things that aren't inherently bad, like shopping or whatever you like to do, croquet, badminton, I don't know. Like, what are the things that Jesus is saying, come to me because I am more important than those things. And sometimes that next step in your faith is scary. I mean, so you can't imagine letting go of that alcohol or those pills or that relationship. It scares you, it terrifies you. But what Jesus is saying isn't is, hey, when you do that thing, my compassion isn't on the other side of that. What Jesus is saying is my compassion is with you the whole time you walk towards me. And the more we walk towards him, the more we understand his compassion, the more we are ministered to by his compassion, and the more we want that compassion for us and for other people. Which leads me to the second thing we, the, the second way that Jesus' compassion should stir our hearts. It should send us out. So the disciples come to Jesus in the evening and they say to him, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. So send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So, I mean, there, there are no food trucks here. There's no easy restaurant. Like, like this is a massive crowd of people and there's no food, Jesus. We, 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 we've got to send them away for their own well-being. We don't have the resources to be able to help these people. And what does Jesus say to them? You know, it's interesting. He doesn't say, ye of little faith, watch me. He says, you feed them. You do this. And it's even more profound in the Greek, and I try not to bring Greek into it that often because our English Bibles are awesome. I say this all the time. 21 hours of ancient languages at Reformed Theological Seminary. My main takeaway is the English Bible is awesome. But in Greek, uh, there's this, the, the word you is unnecessary. When he says you feed them, in the verb feed, you is just implicit. It's understood. But he adds this explicit you. He's saying you feed them. It's like pointing that finger. You feed them. It's that highlighter, that exclamation mark. You're going to do this thing. So how do you think this landed on the disciples? I mean, they've, 
this is me imagining, but like they, they've been walking with Jesus for some time, so they know they're not gonna say, Jesus, I think you're wrong, or, or Jesus, this is kind of weird or crazy. There's this, okay, Jesus, we've seen you do crazy stuff. We've seen miracles. We're assuming there is a way to feed them. All I have is five loaves of bread and two fish. What would you have me do, Jesus? Which is exactly the right answer. There's a pattern here for us. When we're, when we're sent out to feed the sheep, we're going to see needs that are so daunting and so scary that we don't have the ability with our resources and our own compassion to go out and show that compassion to other people. But when we go and say, oh, Jesus, this is what I have, he will do the way that he did with this food. He said, bring it to me. Bring me the loaves and the fish. And he prayed and he multiplied them. Our natural inclination, when we see the true suffering around us, when we see the true lostness of the sheep, the way that, they, that we naturally are going to wander into, gener- into danger, our natural inclination when faced with the deepest parts of the suffering of humanity is going to be to turn them away. It's just overwhelming. I don't have the resources to be able to address homelessness, starvation, war, self-extraction, whatever it is. I don't have these resources, deep grief. But Jesus is saying, what do you have? Bring that to me, pray, and I'll, I'll make it enough if you trust me. Because we're not relying on your compassion here, we're relying on Jesus' compassion. And that's something very different. You may feel like, I'm, just, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to go out and, and help somebody out, show Jesus' compassion to them, feed the sheep. Well, if you believe in Jesus, he's made you worthy. He's made you worthy to go and to do it. I mean, if, if, if Peter, if there's a better example of this than Peter, I don't know one. I mean, you remember Peter denied Jesus three times in Jesus's greatest hour of need. He denied even knowing Jesus at his crucifixion. Then at his resurrection, he came back to Jesus. Jesus came back to Peter. And he said, Peter, do you love me? Three times, do you love me? And three times Peter said, yes, yes, you know I love you, Lord. And three times Jesus said with some variation of, then feed my sheep, then feed my sheep. It's in, it's in the context of Peter receiving this great compassion for this great wrong that he had done that he is sent. And if we are recipients of God's compassion, then we have the great call and the great privilege to go and show that compassion to other people. And, and when we, we go and when we're called, we're called to go and feed the sheep. It can sometimes, when you're looking at complicated and hard situations and we're strapped on time, it can look akin to having five loaves of bread and two fish in front of 8,000 people. And we, we're quick to think, Lord, how, how could I do this? I, I mean, how could I do this? The sheer hurt is so daunting, it's so overwhelming that my inclination is to not even try. And Jesus is commanding his disciples and us to go. It is through you that the sheep are fed. It is through, in Jesus' words, my body, the church, that the sheep are fed. So you go. I can imagine Jesus saying, don't don't turn them away. Don't turn these people away. Do you not know how I have, am, and will suffer for you to show you compassion? And now, as a believer, as a part of the household of God, 
Your call is now to do the same, to take up your cross and to suffer with others that we might understand what they're going through more and can show them the compassion that we receive through Jesus Christ. That comes through suffering with them the way that Jesus has suffered with us. If there is no suffering, there is no compassion. And sometimes when we do it, we see an immediate response. Sometimes wounds are healed and needs are met and sometimes they're not. In my former church, there was a, a woman, a young woman named Amanda. And she was a very, a very needy woman. But some people in our church, uh, they, they fed the sheep, they ministered to her, they shared the gospel with her. She became a believer. She joined our church and our church's call was then to show her the compassion that we are told to show her. And, and it was not easy. She was, she had emotional issues, psychological issues, physical issues, financial issues, and family issues. And we paid her bills, and we watched her kids, and we had her over to do laundry, and we talked with her for hours and prayed with her for hours and did everything we know to show her compassion. And after years of doing so, she took her life. And I'll never forget being at that funeral and nobody said this, but the feeling was, was this worth it? I mean, all that time and this is how this ends. And I'll never forget our pastor, J.D. Shaw, standing up at her funeral and saying, Amanda taught us how to love. We, 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 our church did not know how to show compassion before her. I mean, we now see that as a church, our ability to show compassion and love is so much greater because God brought her into our midst. So it, it may turn out one way, it may be another, but whether we see the results we're anticipating or not, when we are sent, sent by, motivated with, and fueled with the, the compassion of God, whatever the result, we are blessed. We're blessed as we are sent. Because it's not our compassion that drives us. It's not our ability that drives us. It's Jesus' compassion. This is why Paul says, it's the, the, for the love of Christ compels us. You know, if we, if we do this by any other motivation, it's either gonna let us down, we're gonna, we're gonna wear out in a way that we are not intended to wear out, or we're just gonna become insufferable, self-righteous people. It has to be compassion that motivates us. I'm sure most of you remember Jesus' famous statement, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Do you remember what Jesus said right before that? Matthew chapter nine. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And here it is. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, same context. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. It is in the context of Jesus' compassion that they're sent out to the harvest. And it's in that same context that we are sent as well. No other motivation will send us. No other motivation will sustain us. Compassion is the way that Jesus ministers to us and compassion is the way that we are called to go and minister to other people. Jesus suffered with us. Jesus suffered for us. And now we have the opportunity to suffer with other people. And as we suffer with other people, 
some interesting things happen. Not only do we show them the compassion of Jesus Christ that compels us, we learn more about Jesus and the way he suffered for us. And we ourselves are learning more about Jesus' compassion. We are being drawn closer to Jesus. We are being conformed into his image, which is all the while fueling our going and sending and showing. And so it's like this circle that fuels the, the drawing, fuels the sending, and the sending draws us in. And that's the call of the Christian life. The bread and fish that day that Jesus multiplied, it satisfied all 8,000 whatever people, but it only did so for one day. That was it. They, they got hungry the next day. Spoiler. But Jesus says in Matthew 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Do you remember the, the woman at the well talking about water? Jesus told that woman, everyone who drinks of this water, the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus' compassion is that well. Jesus is the bread that will never leave us hungry. And Jesus, through the truths of his eternal word and our walks with him, is how we go and feed the sheep. And, and some of you have no excuse because you have been walking with Jesus for so long and you know so much Bible and I'm in this category. Like, we, there's just no excuse. Like, we, we have, have enough experience that we need to be going and we, we, there's no excuse for us to not be showing Jesus' compassion. But some others of you, you I mean, I, I get it. I, I remember being there. I'm, I don't know much of the Bible. You know, I just got this little testimony here. I don't know how to answer the hard questions. I'm not sure I'm ready to go and be sent. Well, if all you have is your little testimony about how Jesus saved your life, that's your bread and your fish, and he will use it. He, whatever it is that we have, whatever you just learned in the Bible. I didn't even think of this until right now, but I remember studying Leviticus over, overseas, and I just understood the point of the law for the first time. It became clear. I was so excited. I was sitting in this cafe, and the student from like three tables over yells, hey, Jim, do you know the purpose of the law? I don't understand Leviticus. It wasn't even like, he was like trying to catch me. I was like, I, I don't have much, but I have that. I have that, and God's letting me use this. It is the compassion of Jesus that sends us, and we are sent. Whatever it is that we have, he will use it. He's not dependent on us. We are dependent on him. And as we go, we draw nearer. As we draw nearer, there's more fuel to go. And that is the calling and the privilege and the honor of the Christian life. Let's pray. God, I am so thankful for all the ways that I need your compassion. And the ways that even this week you have made that compassion anew to me. And I pray that that would be true of everybody in this room, that your compassion would be overwhelming, that we would want nothing more than to run to you, and that as we do, we would have this deep desire to go and show that compassion to other people, not because we have to, not because you require it to get into heaven or something, but because we get to, because you've called us and you've sent us. God, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.